Hi everyone, welcome back to First Gen Friends Season 3, where I get to interview first generation people and share their stories and experiences. In today's episode, I chat with someone who's got many different hats to wear. He's an actor, a comedian, creator, and just overall a really fun person to chat with. We could have talked for hours. We discuss what it was like getting into the entertainment industry 20 years ago versus what it's like today. He also told me what he hopes for the future of Latino actors and the things that motivate him and what keeps him going in this industry. I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this one. This is Juan Baga. You're with the real deal, Jamie. (laughs) Um, Welcome to the First Gen Friends podcast. I want to start by your name, Mike Diaz, Juan Bago. Where did it all start and how did you come to that that full, long, really cool Yeah, um, it all started with uh, my first project that I did, um, my first independent project. Uh, was the story of Juan Bago, and it was a time where uh, there was I, was, I had to self-promote, like, I, you know, the film got accepted to a film festival, and I'm running around just networking, and, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm a filmmaker, I have a film, it's called Story of Juan Bago, and I'm Juan Bago, and it sort of became a thing that, that was like a snowball effect, where it was like, oh, snap, you know, let me just cut right to it, Juan Bago, you know, and, and from there, I just... I, I kind of like it was such an icebreaker because then it just it leads to the next question of like Juan Bago, lazy like really yeah government name and I'm like no actually I have a film that's coming out but it was a branding thing and it was a thing where again organically I was just networking promoting my project and it just it just stuck on me uh, as Juan Bago. Okay, sorry to interrupt, but we did have some technical difficulties. Um, and I had to edit a lot of it out, but I did ask him about his family, where he grew up, and all that fun stuff that I usually ask at the beginning. So I will let you listen to his answer now. <laughs> yeah, so my parents met in the 70s. My mom came from Dominican Republic, moved to Washington Heights, 174th between Audubon and Amsterdam, and then my father moved to uh, West Harlem, and a couple of years later, they got introduced, they got married. My dad worked in, in, in the restaurant. And then from there, um, pivoted and worked in construction, which then led us, when I was born, uh, to move to New Rochelle at three. And then from there, I, I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut. There are the many New Yorkers. There are a lot of New York offices that are based in Stanford, Connecticut. I was there from three to nine, very diverse, like Dominican, Puerto Rican, everything. Um, and then from nine years old to um, I went to college, I went to a small suburb town called West Reading, Connecticut, um, near Danbury. And that's when I had the big change where I was the, pretty much like the only Latino in the school. But that was the culture shift for me, because prior to that, when I was in Stanford, I was always going to Washington Heights. Um, I, I was always around family. And then when my dad decided that he wanted to move away from the in-laws very far away, it became a little bit more isolated, small town, you just with Blanquitos. Um, and so as I became more, you know, like a teenager, uh, I was such a huge 
hip hop head. I had uh, uh, cable and and I was watching uh, BET NYC video music box. So here I am in the burbs where it was just rock and roll, you know, Led Zeppelin, and I, I'm here w- listening to underground hip hop and really like the the culture. It was such a huge difference because I'm Monday to Friday I'm just with Blanquitos, and then. <laughs> Once in a while, I would go to Washington Heights or I'll go visit my cousin. And I guess the artist side of me just wanted that. Like every time I went to Washington Heights, I don't know what it was. I was just like, I want, I need to. You know, I, I, when I was younger, I was going all the time, but it was just my aunts, my haircuts and stuff. But as I became a teenager, it kind of gave me this, you know, this thirst that I wanted to be in New York City. And, you know, it, not my choice, obviously, that my father wanted to move to Connecticut and deep in there. But that sort of was the first, you know, this calling that I wanted to be in the city prior to my aspirations of being an artist. But I just love the speed and the electricity that New York City and Washington Heights provided. Yeah, and I think probably from a cultural perspective, maybe you felt like you fit in more in the city than in the suburb. Yeah, and and that was and that sort of that sort of led me in. You know, like we have these skills that we sort of create without not knowing and my skill of like loving to network loving to bringing people together was coming out of me feeling like i was i I stood out like a sore thumb in a way i was dominican i looked mulatto i i was super huge on the hip-hop i was wearing cross colors and your bows and you know i would go to the city and come back that monday being like yeah 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 you know like i really (laughs) felt that I was already, I, I was different. And so I owned it, right? Yeah. I, I literally was, um, I, I like, that's what made me the people person. Cause I already knew I stood out and it didn't look like anyone else in the school. So that sort of kind of built that muscle that I had from very young is that, is that I didn't know specifically. I was like, a, you know, like, you know, I don't, I didn't go to school one day. I'm like, I'm the only Dominican here. It was just, I felt the culture and everything. There wasn't anyone I could be like, yo, you know, in high school, I had a friend of mine named Gabe. He was half Puerto Rican, half Indian. He was from the city. They moved to Connecticut. And we started, there were some kids that I was, you know, we had the parallel, but overall it was still like the big difference amongst my classmates. Yeah. And I feel like you connect with people that you have even the littlest ounce of like common ground. Cause I feel like when I was younger too, in school, I was friends with the Asian kids. I was friends with the black kids, the Indian kids, like, but not really the white kids because they weren't taking me in. Yeah. And you're a kid. You're kind of just like, who can be my partner in crime here? Yeah. Um, and that was, so it when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, I connected with the, the head janitor who lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut, huge hip hop head. So I would get some mixtapes and stuff and I would give it to him and he'd give me music. And we were constantly, because when I was doing sports afterwards, I would catch him and we would talk. And we would just exchange and thing because he was like, yo, what's up? And and at the time, Danbury, Connecticut, small towns have their their local college radio. And I would listen to that and I would listen to Hot 97 and everything. But anytime I had an opportunity to get a tape or, or a single tape with the A and B, I would give it to, to the janitor and vice versa. And that's how we sort of connected. Especially when Wu-Tang came out, I was just like, yo, I just got my hands on the on the A and B, which was uh, Cream and... Uh, it was Cream and Method Man was that 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 the tape and it was just that was my outlet there that I was like yo no worry I'm going to the city I'm gonna get this da 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 and we go back and forth. 
Yeah. First of all, that's so that's such a sweet story to yeah. be able to bond with someone on, on like from an art perspective and music. Yeah. And then also just the fact that you had to like go to the city to get a mixtape where it's yeah. you could just download. Of course. <laughs> These kids have it so easy, right? I mean, Jesus. I remember burning CDs and like you'd have that background like music before the actual song yeah. started. So yeah. those are good times, good times. Mm -hmm. Besides wanting to be in the city full time, what were some of your other dreams? My American dream, I think because of not knowing that I was always a class clown and I wanted to do stuff in comedy and I couldn't really pinpoint or specifically say, hey, I want to do this. It took me a while for that because, again, I didn't have anybody that can point a finger till I was older, which was John Leguizamo and his HBO one-man show specials. But prior to that, I was lost. My Dominican dream was that I wanted to be a baseball player until freshman year, and I got cut from the, the JV team, which still hurts since I'm mentioning it right now in this podcast. That was when I was like, damn it, uh, I had to pivot. But it was baseball, and then from there, like I said, like I just, it didn't get to, it, it didn't get to where I wanted to until I came to the city, and I was like, okay, this is a possibility. But prior to that, I didn't know. Like I just was a lost soul as far as artistically and what my mission was. At that age, especially, you're like, I need to figure it out now. Like where am yeah. I going, and what am I going to do with my life, right? And then at 18, they're like, you have to pick a major when you go to college. <laughs> yeah, it was business. And I was you know? great with numbers always. Like, But look, the num me being great with numbers came from me being so obsessed with baseball. Like, I knew every stat. Like, this is super nerd alert. I I've probably never said this to somebody that's being recorded right now. I used, this is how much of a freak I am that if I was at that age now, I'd probably be on Twitter and have an account that, you know, everything's now stats, right? But back in the day, this is how old I was. Like, you wouldn't know the baseball stats until Sunday's edition of the newspaper where they had like all the stats of everyone's baseball team. I would literally, this is how, this is how much of a nerd and isolated I was. I had a spreadsheet that I have all the Mets stats. And then I would update it and then I would watch the game or I listen to the game and I would update it or erase it and I would have all the stats there. And I still know the stats of 1986, 87, 88, 89. Like that's how much of a nerd I was at a young age. And that was my obsession. So when I got to 18, I was like, all right, business and, and accounting because that's, but it came from baseball and sports and how obsessed that I was with Daryl Strawberry and Keith Hernandez and Ron Dar like all these guys. So my go-to was numbers because I was obsessed with numbers. If there was TikTok back then, you would have been viral for being like the baseball stack guy. Probably. Yeah, because now <laughs> there are so many social media accounts that aggregate numbers in basketball. Like I follow accounts like they, this guy plays well during the third quarter for five minutes. And that, that would have been me right now if I was at that age where I'm like, that's how I was obsessed with it. And I would really hope that my dad would get the Sunday newspaper for him. It was like, what? Well, you want to read the, the, the Sunday newspaper? And I'll be like, as soon as he get, I'm like, I snatched the sports section. And I'm like, all right, 10 oh, I was only, I was only off by one home run for Keith Hernandez for this week. That's the shit I was obsessed with. And I've really, I've never shared, but that sort of, that's really cool. Be obsessed with numbers, which was going to be my thing until entertainment came in involved. Yeah, can you tell me about that? I had a little quick one night stand with college. And while I was in college, um, a friend of mine at Central Connecticut University, uh, his name is Leonardo Santana, his father um, 
ex-Marine became a uh, tele uh, a camera operator for the local uh, news at Hartford, Connecticut. And so he had cameras and my boy had a camera on campus and would record everything. And so at that time when he was recording it, you know, I was his friend and he was recording a lot of stuff. We would do, you know, just bugging out at the dorm room and stuff. And then him and I had this bond because he wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to be an actor. So when we decided to move to New York City and Washington Heights, that was our aspiration. And so from there, I already wanted to get into comedy. I wanted to do this stuff. I was involved in a couple of independent films that this guy literally financed himself, hired a DP, hired a director and just B-movie, like released it on his own. And it wasn't great quality because he would like rent out a space for three days, shot a whole movie in three days. But then I started to be like, oh, wow. okay, this is there. Then I ran into my boy while I was doing background work. I lived in Washington Heights in the United Palace was doing a movie that Marlon, Marlon uh, Damon Wayans was in, background work, local guy named Preston Lopez, he had a, uh, a public access show on Eminem for already 10 years, and he would do a show every week, and he would record it, we got cool, we hung out, I was doing sketches like MTV Cribs, but Washington Heights style, and so I started to be like, oh, wait a minute, and then it wasn't until I had a friend of mine that uh, intern for the founder of the HBO Latino Film Festival, she's like, look, you're doing all these short stories that are a comedy, you know, for mehenta.com, which now apparently is a dating, a Latino dating site, but prior was like on Facebook. And the the first members of mehenta.com was a lot of innovators. And I, I shit you not, like right now, people are publicists, filmmakers, and they all joined that site. And when I was there, instead of putting a, a picture of me and my six pack in front of a car that I don't own, I pivoted <laughs> and I did comedy. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of comedy. People were like, yo, you should write. And my friend, who to this day, full circle, actually works for a podcasting company. And she was like, I was thinking about you. And I got cast into a podcast because 20 years later, she referred me. But she was like, you need to meet the founder of the film festival. So I did. And wow. then I short films. They had short films at the Latino Film Festival. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't need to do feature. I could do something five, 10 minutes. That summer while going and networking, I was like, all right, I'm gonna be on a mission. I'm gonna write something. I had a best friend of mine that I knew from Mienta.com who was an alpha. Yo, we're gonna do a movie. I'm gonna finance it. You're gonna go ahead. I have a point in college. We're gonna do it. Let's do next year. So I'm like, bet. So I write out a short film, like a half hour, 40 minutes. We got together, we got our DP. I did the casting on Craigslist. I spoke about this the other day. This is me, my first project. I turned my apartment into a casting office, turned my bedroom, flipped my bed, had a camcorder, and I put on Craigslist and a couple other sites. And I think back now, I'm like, so much trust to come to a random apartment in yeah. Ridge Apartments to cast for a film in someone in there. But I try to make it as legit as possible. Like, I turned my... I turned my living room into a waiting area. I had coffee, a little table, sign-in sheet. I had a friend of mine with a walkie-talkie. All right, we're next for the next casting person ready to come in. <laughs> I opened the door, they're like, oh, okay. But I'm there in the couch like this. The director's there. He's very organized because he was a paralegal. So he was very organized with the script. Okay, your name is this, check, cut, boom, boom. So we made it as legit as possible what we were working with. Shot the film, was from 30 to 40, became a full feature. 
put it in the film festival, got accepted, sold out, and then from there I could never look back because I made nothing. I made something out of nothing. Wow. And worked what I had, and that was it. So it, it was little increments. Means yeah. uh, getting cast in an independent film with almost no money, seeing seeing someone that had a public access show that worked went to the 59th Street office, did the editing. I'm talking about old school editing, like with the wheels and all that. Mm -hmm. And then seeing short films of my people's Latinos, and I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna go ahead and do it." And then from there, it just all made sense, and here I am now. Wow, I'm so happy you're able to share. And the funny thing is, is like, you you know, I was so tunnel vision. I'm like, yeah, people yeah. want to show up to go to the casting. But it's like, if you if you look back, I'm like, wait a minute. A cast if that was today, no one's coming to your apartment. It'll be like, um, uh, that show on NBC where it's like, hi, I'm Chris Roberts here to catch a predator. You're like out in handcuffs. Too. <laughs> right. Then it's a documentary. Now I pin it. We briefly talked about this, but how has like how has the industry evolved since you started to now, and what are some of the things that you're excited about? So when I first started, it was a thing where the most popular, I mean, I might get uh, fact checked, but the most popular Latino was morning show Luisi Menes. It was a morning show. It was very popular. Still, it predominantly, if you say Latino, Spanish dominant. Entertainment Univision was huge. And so for somebody that already had the background where I grew up in Reading, Connecticut, English was my first language. My Spanish, I was embarrassed about as far as speaking it because I sound like, my cousin would say it like Indio. Hola, mi nombre es Michael. But when I started creating content beyond just my film, although when I was doing the film, I would get interviewed by Telemundo, Univision, local, local eminentials that was Spanish. And I'm like, great, I'm trying to promote something that's in English. I'm trying to promote it with my horrible Spanish. It's like, I'm not gonna go watch this. This dude is not in a But do you ever watch Jennifer Lopez when she does her interviews in Spanish and it's like, oh. <laughs> hey, forever, right? So I'm living in this spot. And, and, then, and then around that time on a personal level, as far as, you know, my aunt's, relatives like i didn't speak spanish and like i ven acá hablame en español yo no entiendo ese inglés i'm like tia you've been here for 25 years you know? <laughs> i said to my mom all the time. I'm like, yo i was like tia and i was getting these arguments i'm like tú tienes 25 años what's up <laughs> no, you're not embarrassed and so i have all these voices and then again in that in that time promoting doing stuff Shout out to Jamie Fernandez, uh, Jerry Diaz, my cousin. We started a sketch group called Room 28. And in that time, again, first generation, creating English sketches, not Latino characters, just situational. And then when it came down to put them out, we we were lucky enough to have LaMusica.com that will put out once a week, great traffic, but the majority of the audience is Spanish speaking. And then when we were trying to put it out mainstream, it was already quoted as Latino. So it was yeah. like, no, we're not gonna be able to relate to that. So we're in this middle area when we first started, whether it's a press run or creating content, which was just the way it was. And then everything that came out was like, you know, even Wu-Tang was famous enough to have Wu-Tang Latino. Everything was like Latino, Latino, niche. So here we are, that fans of comedy, creating comedy that anybody can enjoy, we're put in a box. And so 
yes, naturally it has evolved because of course that's 15, 18 years ago. Now we're at a point where it's like, there's been enough Latinos that are English speaking that don't have to feel embarrassed, but understand that, yeah, we are Latino, but we speak English first. But when I first started, right. it was rough in any aspect. It's marketing, even branding, budgets, everything was put in a little box there. And it was tough because at the end of the day, we just lived in the reality of what it is. We born in this country, grew up speaking English, absorbing everything. But then when we create, no, we're going to be put somewhere else. I think what's cool, and as you're saying this, I remember just being able to speak English better, understanding Spanish, obviously, but you're kind of like not sure which box you fit in because you're both, you know, mm -hmm. like we mm -hmm. were born here, our parents weren't. So we have these like two cultures we're trying to combine. And ultimately that doesn't, that didn't really exist in the media. Mm -hmm. Whereas today what's cool is there's like better like or Yo Sabo or mm -hmm. just these like funny kind of relatable accounts and mm -hmm. memes that we can laugh at. Cause you're like, oh, okay, here we go. These are my people. They yeah. know that like sometimes we like forget a word. But again, things evolve, right? So it's almost like, because my parents and other individuals that decided, okay, we're gonna come to America, we're gonna have kids. We were in the forefront of that change. Every immigrant group goes through that. I speak better Spanish now, just because I don't feel the threat. I don't give a shit now, right? So it comes out more natural. That's why it's so funny for many years, I spoke, my Spanish was dope when I was impersonating my mother or my father or a relative. <laughs> because I I just was the person. But yeah. then when I to communicate, it was like, uh, but that's because I already have all these voices that, of all these years of laughing and criticizing yeah. that I'm not, you know, feeling fluid. Now I'm like, whatever. It's just like, I did the man in the street, but I'll go brief. My Spanish was like, whatever. I didn't care, people understood, but I'm like, judge me all you want, A for effort. And so that sort of, a lot of Latinos that I know that in that space, we're dealing with it. And so mm -hmm. now it's finally catching up. It was like, all right, fine. But it was a rough time in the beginning because it was like, yo, I'm at least trying and now I don't want to try because I'm feeling like I'm going to get made fun of. Given like how complicated and I feel like that the industry you're in is tough. It's already mm -hmm. tough in the English speaking world, but now being in this like double Latin mm -hmm. American world, it's probably harder as well. What motivated you to continue? Like what's motivating to keep going and not just being like, fuck this. No, I think, um, blindly, blindly. I think it's my spirit of the first version of me that came to the city and felt like there was a wall because all there was available was background or characters that were negatively portrayed. And I remember part of the reasoning of what motivated me when I did a first generation English comedy movie in Washington Heights was that you do have to be sort of the trailblazer and make the change that you want. And it's scary sometimes because I tell you this much, I was doing memes and all of this stuff 20 years ago. And now it's like, you can make money over that, you know? So I've already been married to the thought of like, if you're trailblazing and you're doing stuff that hasn't been done, it's understandable, but that caused a ripple effect. And, you know, the, uh, a friend of mine that says that when you're a trailblazer, you take the first bullet. 
you go off and then the next person's like, hey, and that happens a lot. And so what motivates me is in sort of the activist way of like, I'm going to do it. No one's done it. I'm going to do it. And I, I, now I'm old enough and been in an industry long enough where people are hitting me up and like, yo, I did it because I used to see your videos and all of this. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I'm old enough now to know that, and because it happened to me, that what I'm creating, people are watching younger and they're mm-hmm. going to be able to top it. And so that takes pride than going the cliche way. And it's fine to do that. And now what's cliche wasn't cliche, but I, I really enjoy being first, experimenting, taking the hit because I think that creates more of the, of the change than a couple of years from now, especially in the space that we're in right now where it's still uh, not being represented as much as should be, um, the industry as a whole, and it's a fight. Um, but I feel like that's what motivates me. I, I, that's sort of the legacy I don't have is like, at the end of the day, you look at my resume, I'm like this guy was in the forefront, was there creating stuff that brought, you didn't see. Um, and so it's painful, but I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable now uh, because of what I've seen in the changes, it's not as fast as we want to, but that's sort of what motivates me is like being that trailblazer. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you're entertaining as shit. Like I watch your videos and I see the stuff you're doing. And it's like inspiring. So I imagine other people who are also trying to break through and they need that, right? And similar mm-hmm. with this podcast, I love when people reach out to me or like, I could relate to that. Like, thank you for sharing those stories. Thank you for having them. You know, it's just like nice. Cause I'm like, I yeah. feel like I'm helping people connect to something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and your, and your podcast is a perfect example of where it's like people come out of the cave. I'm like, Oh snap. Oh shit. Oh, okay. So it's not only me. Okay. Yeah. That is needed when you want to create change. Because again, I, for many years, and I laugh about it now, but for many years, it's painful because you feel like, damn, who else is dealing with this? Like, am I the only one? And so when you have art platforms, podcasts that create something where people can relate, it empowers, it gives a term. Like last night, literally last night, I my sister sent me a Instagram account of a comedian and I'm like, from New York, and I've never heard of him. And I'm like, yo, it gave me, I'm like, yo, I, this, oh, shit, oh. And it's just, we need that as content creators, right? We're consuming, 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 but sometimes we need that little spark. And it's either from a story, a sketch, or per, uh, a person's purpose that gives us that. And I think that's so important, especially when we're coming from a space of ours where there is not that path can be like, oh, shoot, I'm taking notes. All right, I'll do that, 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 and that. We don't have that unfortunately, for everything that we're trying to do. So it's so important. You know, it's so fascinating now being a parent and I see how like my son and my mom the other day, uh, she lives in the Dominican Republic now. And she's like, you know, I was looking through your pictures and now that I look at it when you were younger, I saw, oh, and now I see the, the, the thing you do now and make it sense. And so it had me thinking because I see my son now and I see little, you know, little signs. It's unfortunate, right? Because it's like, okay, the Latino space, content creators, comedy, writers, whatever. 
But as being a child of immigrants, where my father, every time I want to do something, be like, okay, let me uh, calculate this. So you make it this much an hour, time of day. If you're working for me, construction, you do this. And I'm like, yeah, but mm-mm. So it's unfortunate when you're trying to be an artist or an independent content, content creator because our parents are not looking at it like that. They're like, I came from another country. I was working crazy hours. I was doing a lot of sacrificing. And you're going to do what? So... <laughs> Now I look at my son and I'm like, and 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 the comedian said this um, as far as stand-up special. He's like, my son has the freedom. Like if I see things, I will be like, yo, oh, he looks like he could be an actor or he could be this. I can put that. But for my parents, my mom was just trying to do the best she can. My dad was never yeah. around because he was working so much. They're not peeping that. So my dad is just looking at it as like, I put you in a better place for what? No, you need to. This is this equates to you need to make the money to go ahead and better and so arts and immigrants right it's tough because they sacrificed a lot and you're gonna risk it all to do something that i cannot they can't calculate and it sucks but what is it now we're now in control of like okay i get it and we can do that but it is the nature it is the nature of the beast when you have immigrants coming from another country to come here and to to thrive what would you do differently I think um, my goal, you know, I've, for all these years, I've been on social media, right? Before it was even social media. I think now is just really taking all my experience and really hone in to create TV shows and, long, you know, bigger content to really create more depth in the characters that are being played by Latinos to be more layered, right? When you look at shows like Orange is New Black that have these Latinas that had backstories and arcs and really all those women, they they blew up because they had characters that were depth and they're like, wow, this woman can act and do that. So for me in the comedy space, I want to do that. I want to create awesome characters, shows. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on top of that, get to a point where I can mentor and guide the next generation so that they can learn from the mistakes that I had when it was, you know, a more difficult so that they can kind of take yeah. the shortcut, right? Because, you know, you, you got to go through your, your process. Like, I can, anybody can give you the blueprint. You got to go through it, but at least you can do a little bit of a shorter cut and understand that stuff. Yeah. Because that's, like I said, I said this from, like, 20 minutes ago, it's that next generation. It's that next one that's 21, 22, that already has been watching everything and getting straight to it. You know, when you look at the the Jarrell Jeromes and and Jorge Lindenberg, if I'm, I mispronounced his last name, I apologize, but Dominican actors, they're young and, and they're doing it. And because unfortunately, there's this generation of Latino actors and entertainers that have that a little bit of a chip because of all the stuff they had to deal in Hollywood. This younger generation mm-hmm. is just like, oh, I, I'm an actor. I got to do what I do. Look at Jenna like, Ortega. She's just like, boom, right right there. Yep. And so I think that that is sort of the the thing is is being more behind the scenes, creating that, and on top of that, mentoring. Because I, that, I really enjoy, you know, giving advice and giving example. I may not apply to myself. You know, that's like the thing, right? It's like, so why don't you take your own advice? But... Others, I, I definitely uh, enjoy doing that. And I think that's my mission for the next few years is that because I feel like yeah. the power in numbers. And I think that right now we are 
we're, we're getting to that point where we're going to turn on the television or we're going to stream and we're going to see a lot and then a percentage of that are going to become executive producers and producers and then you can't stop us yeah if you could give yourself your younger self advice what would it be wow i think it's just uh trust yourself just just as crazy as it sounds, but we don't do it enough. Just go with the flow and just trust yourself. You know, if there's one thing that I know is like, there's gonna be highs and there's gonna be lows. Like I think sometimes we live so much in the moment when we're we're on the lows that we stay there longer because you're thinking to yourself like, oh my god, this is this is gonna be it. And it's like, and I've learned that obviously, even as being a dad now, where it's like, you have those months where it's like, damn, this kid ain't letting me sleep. And, and then you did, you wake up one day and, and things evolve, things go with the flow. But I feel if there's one thing that tends to happen, mental health therapy, right? It all tells us is like, take it one day at a time and just trust yourself and just go with the flow and don't get in there because on the flip side, when there's the highs, right? And then sometimes you get a little careless when you have your highs and you're then yeah. not focused and you're too in the moment, the highs. And you're like, no, it's gonna, it's gonna be like this. And I think I got caught so much into the, the lows <clears throat> that I started to feel like, yo, I'm due for another low or this is gonna be the new norm. And then when one thing happens, it's good. <clears throat> I ignore it. I don't see that small positive because I'm just so caught up in all the negative. And I think that that is something, it's so simple, but I think that's what time does. It, it, it To me, I feel like it's everything is like a cycle. Everything yep. is just a, a flow and it's just that. But when you are focused on understanding there's gonna be highs and lows, you just take it and you're like, all right, let, let's go. What might seem like a negative, like, ah, oh, man, you know, I've had moments as simple as I missed a train. And then by me being five minutes later, I missed this situation. And I'm like, oh my God, I was in a negative. So I think that that is something in there as, as being a cancer uh, sensitive artistic person where I'm like, oh, I got caught up on that. I told myself like, yo, relax, man. Stop being so, you know, chill. You know, it's not that bad. So I think that would be my advice to the uh, younger me. And that was Juan Vago. Thank you guys so much for listening. I am so grateful and appreciative to Juan Vago for coming onto the podcast and sharing his story. I hope it inspired some of you as much as it has inspired me. I love what I do and I love sharing these stories with all of you. So if you know anyone that has a first generation story that they'd like to share, please don't be afraid to reach out because I'm all ears. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Bye.